0: it's really um, enriching to be able to see Megillus Esther and the nasive Purim outside of a, outside of the bubble. If you read Megillus Esther, it's a bubble. It's a historical vacuum. Haman lodged a threat against Jewish survival. La 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 Beid, Jewish future was in question, was being challenged and HaKadosh Baruch Hu saved Am The generic, the, the template of HaKadosh Baruch Hu saving Am and so I don't mean to diminish its importance I don't mean to diminish its pivotal role in reaccepting Torah after thousands of years. When the first Nesinas of Torah was coerced, HaKadosh Baruch forced them, he lifted them out, and this was more of a voluntary acceptance, as Martin Chambis says. But there was a historical context that was going on, there was also a cultural context. And you can't necessarily see that just by reading the psukim of the Megillah, you have to be able to peel away the layers. So there are two layers of the story that I want to peel away for you tonight. What is the cultural layer? What was the culture of Shushan? What were the values this culture was based upon? And how did that pose a threat? Not to Jewish physical survival, but to who we were and our identity. And the second layer is historically. When did this occur? It's not a historical vacuum. It occurs within historical context, and it plays a role in the advance and the progress of history. It's not just occurring in some city, untethered or, or severed from history. Stylistically, one of the hidden structures or hidden apparatuses of Megillus Esther are the parties. The Megillah begins with parties, two parties, 180 days, seven days. But if you look carefully, the Megillah is neatly divided into ten parties. There are ten parties that take place at one point or another. And you guessed it, five parties lead to the crisis, five parties resolve the crisis. The first two parties Ahasuerus conducts for the population at large, for the people of Shushan. Malka Asta party number three. that's actually party number five when the decree is issued. Party number four is the party after Esther replaces Vashi, not really replaces Vashi, there was a year, there was a couple years lag, but those are the five parties leading to the precipice, to the point of crisis, to the moment of danger. And there are five parties that are employed in one way or another to resolve the crisis, to undo the decree, to celebrate the triumph. The two parties that Esther makes for Haman and Ahasuerus. The party that Am Yisrael conducts when the initial decree goes out. Remember, the whole miracle of Purim occurs within a three, four day span. It seems like a long time. But the entire pace of the miracle of Purim is extremely frenetic. It's extremely frantic. It happens like a snap. Three days in Nisan, over Pesach. And then, of course, you wait 11 months until the battles are waged. But there's the two quick parties to try to catch Haman, part of the snare, part of the trap. Then there's a party when the decree is undone. And then the two parties, one on day 14, one on day 15, Remember, not for tonight's show, they don't, we don't celebrate or commemorate the military victory. We celebrate or commemorate the day after, the day they rested from the military victory. It's a whole different story why the resting is important, not necessarily the military triumph. But there are five parties that lead us to the brink. Five, what, what, why do parties serve? They may have occurred, but the McGill doesn't record things that don't play into the narrative, that don't impact the narrative. What role does the parties play? Well, the parties are a consummation of Shushan's culture and of Shushan's socio-political, economic fiber. And if you take a fresh look at Shushan, you'll find some very interesting, even refreshing elements to the society of Shushan. For example, what's stunning about Shushan, what's glaring about Shushan, is the multiculturalism, the pluralism. The fact that this is a society at every level, economically, politically, socially, which isn't based on well-established, long-determined hierarchies of who's in and who's out, of the haves and the have-nots. But this is a society of upward mobility. People who don't come from ancestral dynasty, who aren't aristocratic, can quickly, quickly rise to the top. And you see this politically. It's a society of great upheaval, of great flexibility, Ahasuerus. The Gemara says, and I'm going to be reading now from part one, which is your first sheet. Take a look at some Sukkim, we'll take a look at some Amari Chazal. We'll take a look at source number five on the back. Why was he called Ahashver? It was a between Rav and Rav, Shemalach mayatzma. king on his own. According to Chazal, he was a stable hand. And the and Belshazzar. remember, what we're seeing, and I'll get to this a little bit later, is the transition of empire from the Buhane-tzar and his son Belshazzar, who were the last rulers of Babel, Nebuchadnezzar destroys the Beis HaMikdash and Belshazzar is killed as his palace is ransacked in that story in Daniel, if you know the story in Daniel when that famous hand starts writing on the wall and the end of Malchus Babel the beginning of Madai Uparas the first Madai king is Daryavash the second king is from Paras he's Quraysh, who authorizes the building of on HaMikdash so we're witnessing the transition of empire from the established military powerful Nebuchadnezzar Malach Babel to this empire that no one really knows about, you haven't heard about them, they haven't really impacted their world. Achashverosh isn't an aristocrat, he's a stable hand who escapes from the Buchanetzar's palace, he becomes the king because he marries Vashti, and that's his ticket to the top. But you see the political dynamics, not just in Achashverosh's singular rise to the top, but Big son and Seresh are plotting to try to depose the king, there's so a lot of political intrigue, there's a lot of... Go- this wouldn't happen in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Nebuchadnezzar's court, you could barely make it in. Let alone plot to assassinate in Nebuchadnezzar. But Gidal HaMalach <laughs> HaChashverosh Eshaman! The first time we hear Amman in Para- <laughs> Paragimel. Gidal <laughs> All of a sudden, this man comes from nowhere. We don't know about him. He's not politically empowered. He's not a lobbyist. He's not a politician. <laughs> Now we know that he was really in Muchan, Api Chazal, who appeared in the first paragraph, he was an advisor. But keep in mind, even the advisors, do you know how many political underlings there are in Meghila If you take a look, the Rorah Paneh melech, the hashdar Paneh melech, the Shomra Paneh melech, the Shomra HaSaf, the Yoshev Shara Melech, the Ror Paneh melech. all of a sudden you go from a regime built on one totalitarian rule of the HaNetzar and his successor of Bolshatzar to a very bloated, but politically empowering bureaucracy, where everyone has power and everyone is sharing power. And of course the deposing of Ashti and the replacing of Ashti with a Jewish refugee from Yushalaim also indicates when can a Jewish refugee all of a sudden become king or queen a few years after they left Yerushalayim. And the Megillah makes us know that these were the people, Mordechai and Esther, left Yerushalaim. They were part of the exiles the <speaking> Imagolah, the Megillah emphasizes, these were Jews, who were refugees, who were exiled with Yechaniah. That was actually the first Gaulus, not the second Golas, the Gauls of Yehoiakim, not the Gauls of Tzidkiah, the first Gaulus, 18 years before the destruction of Beis HaMikdash. So all of a sudden you sense, in a very healthy way, this is a system of politics built in upward mobility. Mordechai replaces Haman, Mordechai Yoshev B'Sha'ar HaMelech on his own, he just enters, not on his own, he just barge in, but he wields his influence. So you see that politically. This is not a ossified or, or, or um, strictured system. And you see the same thing very, very clearly at the party. And the party becomes almost an icon that captures this pluralism, this multiculturalism. It's very clear that this is a party in which no person will be forced to eat, drink, or behave outside of their cultural mores. And because Esther stresses that, if you take a look at some of the psuchy, okay, Source number one, line four. I'm just trying to give you some sukkum to help demonstrate. This v'kelim, v'kelim shomim. You could drink it whatever you wanted. If you're accustomed, remember, this is 127 different provinces, 127 different cultures, 127 different languages, maybe not 127, but more than one. Different drinking styles, different eating styles. shomim. kiad ha But it goes further than that. Source number one, line five. No one was forced to drink. You like to drink, you can drink. You don't like to drink, you don't have to drink. And remember, keep in mind, politically there are a lot of rules. Megillus Esther is laced with rules. The word das, das ha-melech, appears 18 times in Megillus Esther. There are rules about the chatzah ha the chatzah chitzonis. you can't come speak to the king unless he sticks out a scepter, where the women go at night, who greets them. It's a very, very clearly legislated environment, but these parties... Drink if you want, drink if you don't want. Drink your wine, we'll see Chazal pointing this out. Drink your beer, drink your ale. Not Chaz Shalom to impose on any one person the culture of a different person. B'chatzar Ginas Bisan I don't think I, I emphasize this. Line number two. B'chatzar Ginas Bisan So what a Chazal Darshan? Let's take a look at some of the drushes of Chazal. Turn the page. Line Source number two. B'chatzar Ginas Bisan Rab Bishmul Han You wanted to drink in the outside chaser? You can drink in the outside chaser. You wanted to drink in the inside room? You can drink in the inside room. You wanted to drink in the bisan, like this veranda in between? You can drink in the bisan. Everyone was accorded their cultural comfort level. No one was forced to act outside of their ethic, outside of their cultural background. Harai la kesef, Rabbi says. You can continue, source number two, line two. If you like to drink out of gold or out of silver, you drank out of silver. Harai Lazav Lazav. If your stature was gold, it was very democratic, very pluralistic. Those who were used to drinking out of gold were given gold goblets. Those who were drinking out of silver, silver goblets. Those who were drink out of copper, copper goblets. Amr of Malame, the last part of that section. Shekol Echad vi Echad, Hesheo Mi'aymi They actually brought wines in from every single province. Wherever you live, your wine was poured in that you should not have to drink or eat another type of wine that you're not accustomed to. A lot of respect. A lot of embracing. Everyone's even. We're not trying to impose one controlling ethic over everyone. You want to sit in the chatzar? Sit in the chatzar. You want to sit in the Bisan, Sit in the Bisan. You, you like to sit in the, in the, in the ba'ez? You sit in the ba'ez. You drink this wine. You drink this wine. Today, this, is a madrash in Esther Abba, source number three. Hashtia chadas enones? Kidas komakom bamakum. Chadas... Ainonay, no one was forced, no one was forced to drink. Isatar, this is in Aramaic. Isatar, deboy megam, ubasar king shasi. Some places like to eat before they drink. So in those cases, you came from a place to eat before you drink, you were given food and then wine. Isatar, the end of wine three, end of source three, the shasi, ubasar king megam. In some places, they would drink and then they would eat. Every single cultural background is respected, is accommodated. This is a society of democracy. This is a society of multiculturalism. This is a society of pluralism. No one is coerced politically. No one is coerced culturally. Even the Jews aren't coerced. Because I'll tell us, we'll see somebody who took them later, the food was kosher. Fashchia Khadas enones. We can see it now, source number 2. Khadas enones. Amr of line number 3, source 2, it's the Gemara Megillah. Amr of Hanan, Mishim Kedash Shaltar. The wine... What's kosher? Because the Jews have their rituals, the Jews have their kosher wines. So it's just like the, the Irish have to be accommodated, and the Greeks have to be accommodated, and the Germans have to be accommodated, the Jews have to be accommodated with kosher wine and kosher fruit. And when Haman is trying to denigrate the Jews in Ahasuerus' eyes, he says, you know what, they disparage you so deeply, I'll show you how little they care about your monarchy. It says if there was a fly that fell into their wine, they would drink that wine. They would take out the fly and continue the wine. But if you touch the wine, after, they not drink it. Of course, you won't drink it. So there was so much we were at the party to accommodate the Jewish needs. They sold the hot dogs outside of the you know the baseball stadium to make sure the Jews had their kosher hot dogs. Supporters, what what's so bad? This is a great society. This is our society. This is democracy, pluralism tolerance, acceptance, different languages. Remember, it's not just the parties, but the letters. Look at the end of source 1. Turn the page back. For instructions in English, press 1. Press 2. I'm not even going to go there, you know, in Russian. Russian! (laughs) And just press whatever number you want. You got your instructions in whatever language you wanted. Drink whatever wine you want. Eat however you want. Where you want. From what you want. No coercion. You want to be president. Even a Jewish slave girl that escapes from Yushalayim. An orphaned Jewish slave girl. She is so low in the food chain. She could become the queen. So what's so bad? What's so terrible? This is our society. We you see, what happens is, in a society in which there's no controlling ethic, no controlling political ethic, no controlling cultural ethic, no controlling racial ethic, no controlling ethnic ethic, and you know, we don't come from the th- same ethnicity, we don't come from the same race, we don't come from the same religion, those are normally social cohesives. They bind people together. We're all t- Italian. We're all Protestant. We're, We're all Protestants. We're all uh, 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 Caucasians. We're all. In a society which shatters. Any cultural ethic, no coercion, no dialect, no, everything is pluralistic. There's one value that rises to the top. And there's one value that's colorblind and race blind, And that's the value of money. Because money is universal. Money, wealth, success, that knows no boundaries. And that is precisely, precisely what happens in society. There's no political ethic. You can be a Belshazzar, you could be a Median, you could be a Persian, you could... Can... No ethic. You're welcome to join the government. There's no dominating cultural background that's necessary to get into the party. Just come, drink whatever you want. So what's the one ethic that everyone idolizes, that everyone celebrates, that everyone understands? Power of gold. Power of currency. Power of wealth. And that's what you're seeing on display in Shushai amazing, amazing Gemara. Take a look at the first source in the Gemara. When Chazal read the Megillah, they realized there were these hidden layers, and to illustrate the layers, they would quote Pesukim from Tanakh, and Darshan the Psikim. So this is based on a Pesukim, I forget who Darshan's it. it is the Adai thing, I forget who Darshan's it, but source number one, it's a psicha. It's taken from Esther but it also appears in the Gemara. Ahashverosh, <laughs> Rosh Haman, Rosh Achashverosh was the first purchaser, seller, and Haman was the first purchaser. What is this referring to? This is a society that's so deeply premised on money and wealth, and it's so clearly premised on wealth. If you take a look at source number one, this is not just a party of food; this is a party of wealth. The also as Osher he was displaying his wealth. The es it was on public display. And Vashti was also displaying her wealth. Source number one. Line number six. Inherited wealth. And 127 countries were paying taxes. You can't have a party for 180 days without someone footing the bill. And while everyone was frolicking and rocking in Shushan, the villagers across this 127 province confederation were paying taxes to the nose. because Darshan, I'm skipping around. Source number five on the back. Remember we said that according to Rav, he was called Achashveirosh, because somehow that phrase is Malach who is self-appointed. According to everyone became poor. Russia is another, term, another name or another phrase for poor. He's taxing people for the nose, so that everyone can frolic and live it up in Shusha. There's no work ethic in Shusha. What he's enjoying is a distribution of wealth. There's a disparity between wealth and the poor paying through the nose that so the rich can live it up for 180 days and feed themselves in some orgiastic, vomiting, uh, eating session. And that's what the parties capture. The parties capture the opulence, the wealth, the affluence. And it's not incidental that Haman purchases the lives of every single Jew for 10,000 shekels because even genocide has a price in a market-driven economy. As long as you pay the price you can eliminate an entire people. And Chazal said, people have bought and sell before, but this was the epitome of a marketplace because it wasn't just a market economy, it was a market culture. It was a culture that had no ethics, so the ethic became wealth. Wealthy people became celebrities. Scientists weren't celebrities, political leaders weren't celebrities. People were celebrated because of their wealth. And the party was a celebration of wealth. I remember uh, touring in Buckingham Palace, I think. And I was looking through the display case, and I saw salt shakers. And I asked the tour guide, those don't look like salt shakers. I said, you want to hold up your... Uh, these salt shakers were the size of that coffee, larger. I said, Man, I love salt, but how could, you drink so much, how could you eat so much salt? And the tour guide explained to me, you didn't bring salt to the table in medieval Europe. Use it. You put salt to the table just to show how wealthy you are, because salt was a precious commodity. And you would put a cup of salt on the table and you'd show everyone how much salt you owned, just to show everyone how rich you were. That's the expression: "Is it worth the salt?" Because you put salt on the table, everyone thought you were very wealthy, and in terms, you were just deceiving everyone. Is not worth the salt? And just thinks everyone who well, thinks you so wealthy. So This is wealth on display. And listen carefully, it wasn't just wealth on display, but it was also not just opulence, but ostentatiousness. See, as Jews living in this century, one of the, one of the aspects of which we just don't have a tradition about is how to live as rich people. Because Jews never were rich. The last time Jews were this wealthy was 500 years ago in Spain. For the last 500 years, by and large, the Jewish community never really had wealth. There were pockets of wealth. But those pockets normally were meant to shoulder the burden of the poor Jews. So the German Jews were quite wealthy, but they were basically shouldering all of Eastern Europe. And, and all of a sudden, we live in this world in which Jewish people have money, and there's nothing wrong with having money. We don't deplore that reality then we embrace. It's a sign of redemption that we've re-achieved our monetary robustness. But how do you live with money in a way that's understated, not overstated, that's quiet rather than ostentatious, that's that's humble and modest. And, and it doesn't make a difference how so much money you spend on your house. You can spend the exact same money on your house or your car, but it's a question of showy and flashy and exhibitionist about it, or do you do it quietly in a way that no one draws attention? You can put the same price. You give me a budget, half a million dollars, They build a house. I can build a house in one way that just tries to flaunt it, and one way that tries to just keep it understated, and no one really knows. You're not trying to flaunt your wealth. This is a society where wealth is flaunted, because that's the only ethic that people rally around. Because all the other ethics have been eliminated in a good way. And that's exactly our society. But it goes further than that. It's not just wealth. It's also opulence. It's not just opulence. It's also pornography. It's looking at human body parts. It's looking at... The second you start flashing wealth, the people are attracted to look at their money. they most become attracted to looking at your body. And there's an undercurrent of pornography. Pornography is defined as any time you look at another body for pleasure. And most often it's the opposite you're looking at women and their bodies for pleasure. And this is just so pornographic. And the description of choosing a queen is so vulgar. And if you read between the lines, you basically understand this is not a beauty pageant. How I a mean, you to be a beauty pageant, which yourself is pornography? How about you to be? Excuse me for my French, but just to make sure these are a series of one night stands. Each woman if you bother, go one night stands to see which woman could give up as the greatest actual pleasure. And you read the stories of the women, I didn't quote the so spending, it, it's, it's simply apocalyptic. Six Shisha the Meshem Hamar, the Shisha Could you imagine spending six months of your life putting on perfume? Another six months putting on makeup? I mean, it's devastating. What could I do in a year? I could change the world in a year. I could travel the world in a year. I could, could you imagine a human being spending an entire year perfecting their physical appearance? It's just so jarring. But that's what people are sucked to, because in the attempt to eliminate racism, bigotry, and everyone's equal, and we have to be PC, and not, no one culture is greater than this, everything will welcome goals. You eliminate any cultural ethic, any moral, any spirit of morality, and people just worship wealth and worship the way bodies appear to one another, because ultimately that's cross-cultural as well. And it's just so sad to eavesdrop on the conversation between Achashverosh and his fellow drunk partiers when is making a parallel party. Look at Source 6. When he conducts his party, Source 6, Chazal, the Median representative said that the Median girls, the Madag girls, are the prettiest. The Persian girls are the prettiest. My wife, but listen to how he calls his wife. My cup. My clay. He reduces his wife into a vessel. That's that's basically pornography. You're reducing a human being into just an object for pleasure. You're not seeing a human being, intelligence, emotions, personality. Idea. You just—it's a body. It's a body. Pornography. You're not, not going to meet that person. You're not going to fall in love with that person. You're not going to raise a family with that person. You have no future with that person. You have no friendship. People want to go in a body just to get pleasure. It, it, unfortunately in our society it's gotten even worse than pornography it's called voyeurism you're not even walking for pleasure you're walking out of boredom we're looking at people's bodies not because, just to look at people's lives reality shows have completely replaced art I'm not going to say the television of my year was great art but at least it was art am trying to describe you know greater narrative greater sitcom today it's all just reality shows looking at people fighting with one another losing weight gaining weight <laughs> Staying in one house, trying to survive each other, not survive each other, survive on an island. is just want to see people in their emotionally pitched moments. I remember it was about ten years ago, I came home from conducting bichinos all day, I just turned on the TV, just unwind a little bit, see what was on TV, just turned it through. They had a panel of celebrities, and the contest, this was like a game show, and the contest was, they held up pictures of different celebrity noses about the face. And the contestants had to try to decide, was that Madonna's nose, or is that George Bush's nose? That, I said, what type of nightmare world am I living in <laughs> People sitting and trying to discern one nose from another. This has really become nightmares. This has become a bad, bad horror movie. But it's not even looking at bodies for sexual pleasure. It's just looking at people. Just It's voyeuristic. And that's what those parties are. Those parties are really voyeuristic. They take place. B'chatsar dinas b'sadam they take place in open displays. One thing you want to stuck your face for one hundred and eighty days, sexual frivolity, eating, obviously a lot of vomiting, you can't eat for one hundred and eighty days unless you regurgitate the food. This is Caligula at his best, but don't do it a public display. At least hide it. They're laying prone Bahatsarginas Bisanamelak on these golden beds and alabaster couches and marble floors and they're just flaunting their wealth and flaunting their sexuality and flaunting their eating and it's just lying like a bunch of seals. People gawking at them. And where's modesty, and where's privacy, and where's dignity, and where's decency? And the parties capture the depths to which Shushan had sunk. Because in an attempt to create democracy and pluralism, sometimes you have to be careful that you don't allow some of the more degenerate values to in. There's no degeneracy in religion. It could be exclusive, it could lead to war. There's no degeneracy in cultural ethics, as long as you respect others, but here, these are very, very detrital, and that's why Chazal are so furious with Am Yisrael. Source number eight on the back. Shalom Talmidim, the Sibshimun Ben Yochai. They asked him, Shemayachai. Mifnei man is chayvu sonem shayisal shadotsa darkliyah. Why were the Jews faced with extinction? Amar lani told him in Ratan. You give me an answer. So the Talmidim said, Mechenanu misidaster shalos in Russia because they participated in Echad Berishusidah. What's so bad? The food is culture? Even if a goy touched the wine, they discuss it. Glock kosher, Rajamina Mahondran, biggest uh, shuffles in the world. They're a different color between each course, probably. But how could you be part of such a meal? I don't care if the food is Glock kosher. You shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be stuffing your face like a pig. in open display. And eating till you throw up. There's certain aspects of your kite that can't be legislated. that should be obvious to you. We're about a month away when some of you are going to spend Pesach in hotels. Right? Be careful. Eat as much as you like and enjoy it. But, and overeating, and there's a lot of... I don't have time to describe because I'll compare a chashverish to a bear. A bear is an opportunistic eater. A bear basically eats whatever it gives. Well, apologies there uh, to the bear's fans. So. Because, it, because it can't really... It needs a lot of food, and it can't really eat... It doesn't have the teeth to bite into flesh like lions. and, and so it has to be, It's called an opportunistic eater. It just eats whatever it can. 90% of a bear's intake is vegetarian. So it's an omnivore, but 90%. So just eating and eating because you're hungry, not even for hedonistic pleasure, just overeating. Just, sometimes people overeat not because they need to eat, they're just overeaters. And you see, you can, I mean, you can't imagine, imagine, maybe the first week was they wanted food. And maybe the, you know, 10 weeks later, you know, they maybe wanted the hedonistic pleasure, but like day 120, they what was the purpose? It was just food, we not say. It was just bears. It just turned into bears. And that's why the Jews are so severely imperiled. And that's what the parties are meant for. And suddenly, in the middle of nowhere, this one person enters the scene, and she restores everything we expect about human relationships and about dignity. And that person is Esther, and Esther is the antithesis of all this pornography and and looking at people's bodies. And when she comes in, let's just read a few seconds, and I get to part two. All of a sudden, when she participates involuntarily in this Queen's selection process. So, line number three of source two on the front page. She doesn't want any makeup. And in all this gawking of physical appearance and clothing in gold and externals, all of a sudden Esther is associated with one word again and again and again. Source two, line four. They don't look at her body. They look at her beauty, at her of personality who she is. And I'll take this to an extreme. That it's a joke. Esther wasn't green. It will turn Esther into a green complexion to us if to the life. It turn Esther into being green just to debunk everything that's going on around. She wasn't concerned with the same pornographic uh, immersion that she, she didn't spend six months with perfume. She put herself together and went out. Yes, make a beautiful woman but it was sane. You see the whole person Please don't get me wrong. Don't any of you marry a girl until you feel irrepressibly sexually attracted to the girl because that's part of the marriage. There's not anti-feeling sexual attraction. And don't tell me the worst thing you could do and don't you ever, ever say this to yourself with your rabbi... You know there's good chemistry. Chemistry, chemistry. You're not marrying a test tube. Make sure you're attracted to her. How do I know you shouldn't marry a girl until you have trouble having kavana during shmones? If you don't have trouble having kavana during shmones, right? that means you're not romantically attracted to her. Okay? So you say, I already have trouble having kavana. You'll know the difference that. You, you can't think. You can't think. That, that's necessary, but it's got to be a whole person. It values a personality or a family or background. or hope so. And it's just so dangerous. What's, what's happening to your marriages is so dangerous because you're letting television, movies, and media dictate what your expectations in marriages are. I mean, ten years down the line, you'll be the victim. woman won't be the only victim. You and your marriages will be victimized by this false expectation of what you expect in a marriage. There's no way she can provide that as well as have children, raise a family, cook, job. I mean, that's not, not what a marriage is built on. And as to all of a sudden, the end of source 2, so number four. When she enters Ahasuerus' palace, Vatilbash Esther... Oh, so now she's putting her on clothing. What's she wearing? Vatilbash Esther... Malchus, Dignity. She's wearing clothing, but that's what the, not what the McGill described. So Vatilbash Esther... Malchus, Dignity. She walked into a room. Everyone could feel it. Close your eyes for a moment to yourself and ask yourselves Are people in your life that carry themselves with dignity. You know the difference. People that hold themselves in a certain way, talk in a certain way, behave in a certain way, conduct dignity. She's a person of dignity. You see, you're attracted to them. Yes, they've got life well. It's done well. It's together. They know what they're doing. They don't do crass things. They don't sell out for the moment. They don't act in ways that are debasing or, or dehumanizing to themselves. And to others. And again and again, the end of source four. And source number five, again and again, the word is associated with Esther. And her parties are parties of parties of purposes, their parties not just to eat and frolic, but parties to try to save people's lives, or to distribute Meshach Manas, or to distribute Matanas yonim, or to celebrate life, not to celebrate genocide. And even the location of the parties is important. Source number five. runs out in anger, he runs out to the Chatsa, because where Esther's party is taking place? In the inner rooms. He runs out to the Chatzar out of anger when he finds out about Hamon. And when he comes back, source number 5, line 2, <speaking in Hebrew> Even the parties, when they're necessary, they're understated, they're private. Esther restores Tznius to the proceedings. And sneers doesn't mean that she has the longest sleeves. That's just one expression of Tznius. Sneers means she's not interested in people gawking at her. She breaks the voyeurism of Shushan. She's not spending six months in makeup and perfume. And also she doesn't talk about herself. She doesn't want to put herself on display. Source number two. Very important process. What he the hidden stuff in the middle? She didn't talk about herself. No one knew where she was from. She didn't want to become a celebrity front page or the internet sites, you know, the latest uh, Hollywood celebrity, everyone's cooking. Facebook page, everyone becomes a fan of her. Don't tell anyone where she's from our origins. <coughs> the end of the park, ain't will get us more out of the It's not just the clothing versus the dignity. It's also stuff about yourself. Learn in life. It's very important not to talk about yourself. It's really important in a conversation with people. Try to redirect the conversation. should be talking about yourself. I mean, obviously, sometimes you want to when you're going out on a day trying to do you know, try to you, want, you need to have. But sometimes the conversation shifts so disproportionately about you. And you don't know, want people to. A Jew doesn't lead his life. No one should lead his life on display, because then, then you just lose your values and you perform to the public expectation rather than perform based on deep conviction. The more that you are constantly on display, constantly vulnerable, susceptible, people thinking about you, can you play to those expectations? You'll never have a conviction in integrity. The more that you say, I'm not really trying to put myself out there, people are going to see inevitably one of the hardest parts of being a refuge. You know, you're always out there and you, you try to condition yourself not to care, not, not in an oafish way or, or a rude way, but just try to do what you do in, in honesty to yourself, your inner compass, your inner conscious, rather than ex- acting based on how people expect you to act or, or want you to act, because then you lose all conviction all the Just How is that person going to receive What's the person going to view me in a certain way? And that's doesn't talk about herself. She's just very authentic. She's a gushnik, right? <laughs> she got that. doesn't dress the part. She's just very, very deep and personal and and Chazal talk about news, so we're really running out of time for part two. But you look at source number seven. Chazal talk about that her grandmother was really the source of Tsnius. Who was Esther's grandmother? Which Shevet did she come from? Benyamin. Who was the mother of Benyamin? Rachel. So the Laura says in Megillah, source number seven with Gimel, Rachel started the legacy of Tsnius. Shaul was the recipient, beneficiary of Tsnius, and then the next queen king was. That's yes there. What was Rachel's sneers? Don't talk about her Sheikh, don't talk about how long her headline was. What was Rachel's sneers, the Gemara says? What? She gives a code to say, Why is that sneers? That's selflessness. That's chesed. Because she doesn't see herself as a center of attention. Okay, so you make it. is based on knowing that you're not the center of attention. You're not the center of every moment. You're not the Center position of every conversation of every wedding, you're able to cede place to others. You're able to give the space to others, whether it's space, conversation, interest, attention. In this case, the man you've been waiting to marry for seven years, which obviously is, it, I do not call excessive it's the highest level. Says so then when Shaul gets appointed king, the Gemara says, which we're not going to be together, he doesn't tell anyone. Sounds familiar? He doesn't tell anyone he's the king. Shmuel sends the moments and says, wait until I call you, become a sleeper cell, sleeper king, and tell anyone he's the king. And that's the one from Shaul. That's the sub-drama that takes place in Shushan. That's why the parties form that stylistic foundation, the five before, the five after, because they demonstrate two different cultural ethics. That's why the Jews are punished for participating in the party, because they subscribe to that ethic, and Esther saves them from that ethic. And Esther restores, Hester upon it restores that privacy, that quiet, that golf-doing, exhibitionism, voyeurism, that reality show, it's not pornography, it's not opulence and wealth, it's just understated. a very important word to learn, guys, understated. It nothing with how much money you spend, really, isn't it? Just uh, I see people that dress, so to speak, with a lot of sneers, at least from my vantage point. Everything is covered to the hilt, but just the style, the, the 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 body language is very, very, as you would say, out there and drawing attention. And then there are people that you know dress in. It's yeah, when you look at sneers in in a wife, and when you look at sneers in people. Don't just look at physical covering; that's also important. But look at the. It has nothing to do with whether they're a doctor or a homemaker. I've seen homemakers who don't have use, and women doctors who <laughs> get It's Just a question but, and it's, it's not just limited to women. When it comes to body parts and, and bodies so women's bodies of a sexual draw that men's bodies don't. But in a lot of sense, some men have to learn also. And that's part of the subplot of the girl's system. The second subplot in twenty minutes or less. The second stylistic, strange, peculiar pivot of Megillus Esther, who are the real celebrities of Megillus Esther, the real stars. Well, let's see. The fashstok and the letter writers. They're constantly running out, sending letters, <laughs> The summers I couldn't even quote the circumstances, it would have been ten pages. At every point, where the letters, and who's carrying the letters, source number four, who cares? Who cares how these letters are distributed? Who cares about the letters? In fact, the Gemara tries to prove, them. the back of page 1, the Gemara wants to prove that you can read the Megillah even in foreign languages as long as you understand them. But you can read in Hebrew to anyone. Imara says, if you read in, Hebrew, you read in French to a Frenchman in New York, if you read in Spanish to a Spanishman, it's a mischievous thing in New York. But Hebrew you can read to anyone. even if you don't understand. Igmar says, source number 13, line 2, how can you read in Hebrew to someone who doesn't understand Hebrew? He doesn't understand the Miguel. So Igmar says, look at this line. Maskifla Ravina, the last part of source 13. Does anyone know here what the word means? None of us really know what the Megillah is talking about. Who were these mysterious Achashron and Beniramach? I mean, yeah, we're outside because we got the general picture. So if you know a little bit of Hebrew, you got the general picture, and they don't need each word. They don't know each word. Why is there such an attention focused on letter writing? So much so, and I'm really hustling now. If you take a look at source number one, when the Megillah is read, that Esther, he's a two sukkum in Parates Hamalka, very important sukim. Basavichayu lemor Yehudiyas kol tokev. Lakaian Segas Hapurmaso, so Megilla's called a Nigeras. Then the next gossip by Schlak it's called the safer. Safer is more formal. guy's learning Gitin, safer Krisos, Viras opposed to Nigeras. So the Gemara wants to know source number two, Amr Khamba, Amr bar Giara, Megillah, line two, source two. Nikar safer, it's called the safer, which makes it sound all like safety, formal sinews of kosher animals. The Nigerosi it's called the nigeris. So The it says it's called the safer for certain halachos. It's called the nigeris for other halachos. And the Ramban explains. I don't have enough time to read the Ramban, but the Ramban basically says, Api halacha, a halacha." There's certain laws about writing the Megillah that stem from being called the safer, like kind of like uh, Daniel and Ezra, or whatever else. And there's certain laws that come from being called the nigeris, which is like an informal letter. You don't need as much as a regular safer. There's certain coolness when writing the Megillahs Esther. Why is Igera so central to the narrative of Esther? That the letter carriers are celebrities, they play a role, they get so much attention, and the actual fabric of Megillus Esther is fashioned after a letter, even though it deformalizes some of the laws of writing Megillus Esther. The answer is as follows, historical. Megillus Esther occurs in general, and I'll be more specific in a few moments, during Gullus Babel the first time in their history, we take it as a given, but you can't imagine how traumatic it was. How much of a sea change. You lose your mikdash. You lose your khanim. You lose your korbanos. You lose your sovereignty. You lose your nation. You lose your people. You lose your identity. Our identity was forged without all those. So we don't know what it means to lose it. But could you imagine living with all that and never having lost it and expecting it to be Unending and infinite and eternal. Because that's how invulnerable they felt. Could you imagine what it was to live on the same land with every single Jew in the world? Not to live in the United States, not to live in Chicago or New York or Boston or New Zealand or Toronto. Just to live together. To have all of ritual accessible, but not just all of ritual, because we've recaptured ritual. Ritual isn't time or context specific. We basically have ritual except for mitzvah based ritual. But everything else it takes to be a Jew. Full Jewish identity, full Jewish nationhood, full Jewish geography, full sovereignty, Jewish army, Jewish holidays, not just re- re- religious holidays, national holidays. And part of that is Jewish language. Everyone spoke English. One spoke Aramaic. Some people needed to, said Edrin. One spoke it. And all of a sudden you're loose and all the identity comes fresh. And part of the loss of Jewish identity is they stop speaking Hebrew. Because we're no longer full Jews. So what's the biggest sign they stop speaking Hebrew? Well, which book describes the transition into gods Not the prophecies about Gullus, but the events of Gaulus. Which is the Sefer and guys? We've Which Sefer and Tana? done See, so, for Daniel, written in Aramaic. It's impossible to read, unless you to talk to him. It's hard Aramaic. I don't even know Aramaic, but hard, no means Aramaic. It's impossible to read. And the first part of Ezra, which also describes the struggle in goals, is written in Aramaic, and the second part of Ezra is written in Hebrew. It's not written in Hebrew because no one speaks Hebrew, so it's a lost language because just study is lost. People stop naming their children Hebrew the names. The poster boy for this loss of identity is none other than our good friend, who has a Persian name. Mordecai, named after Mardir, a more difficult Persian god, and Esther named after Esther. And Gemara highlights this. Again, second part, the Gemara says, this is a Pasik taken out of Nehemiah. These are the people who came back with Zubav. Yeshua, Nehemiah, Zaria, Rahmiya, Nachamani, Mordechai Bilsham. Who is this Mordecai Bilsham? The says in Enaphos, I was mortified to have a Bio, line number three, Sword 6. He mixed up all the languages, very diverse in 70 languages. Bio Lish Naviddarish. He knew all the languages. They're all equal. they're all equivalent. And all of a sudden, Gaulus is fell. not just is the loss of Nikdash, but in the loss of Ignite. He the Jews lost in Gaulus advocating their identity, even to the point they can no longer speak their own language. And their leaders, they can take names that reflect their home language. And part of the restoration of Galus is not just rebuilding a mikdash, returning to land. Listen carefully, guys, it's really important. But restoring language, speaking Hebrew, is part of your own. Retraining yourself, not explicitly, but to speak in Hebrew. And if Mordecai is the poster boy for the loss of language, who's the poster boy for the reclamation of language? Who reclaims language more than any? Who's the leader that returns and is a, a linguist? Well, no. That's, that's ourself. He writes it for time. He redoes Kriya Satara. And most importantly, his book is written in Hebrew, or at least the part of it that describes the return to itself, right at that midpoint, Hebra, where he turns from Aramaic to Hebrew. And most importantly, he redoes the fonts. The Torah wasn't given in Sava The Torah was not given in Harsini in the fonts that we had. It was given in is that a different font, more of a Sanskrit font. Who created didn't create the historic Sava Ezra. Ezra brought Sava Shuri back his, And he had the sense that we were returning to Eretz Yisrael. With that return to Eretz Yisrael, we have to resuscitate Hebrew as a language. I'll start speaking Hebrew again. And in order to encourage that, I'm going to redo the fonts and redo the language, like the Ibn Yehuda Dictionary. We're going to put out a dictionary of Hebrew to modernize it, to adapt it. We're going to redo Kriyat Sankara. We're going to change taragum introduce tarograms so people understand Hebrew, they really understand Hebrew, but now at least they'll be able to interpret it without it slow But get back to the Hebrew. Archbishop, get back there. Right? Get back to the Hebrew and speak your language again. Source number eight, Alpha P where it says It appears in some Russian. The Ezra could have been a Moshe, but Moshe already preempted him. The Apple P line number two, source eight, He didn't deliver the Torah. It's like he gave the Torah again because he redid the funds. The Why is this Ksav called Nigra Shuri? Sha'ala and Ramey when they move from Moshe, they realize we have to redo language. We have to redo our thoughts. So Ezra leads to this reclamation of language. There's a drama taking place, guys. Beyond just this bubble of Shushan. Beyond just the mortal threat and the recovery. There's a bubble of Jewish Galas and Jewish Yulah. And Mordechai and Ezra are participants in this process. They reflect different values, different models in this process. Why do you think Rabbi Shimon Baruch Haist Hamidim was so critical of the Jews for participating in this suit of Ahasuerus? Because Koresh was Ahasuerus' father. What did Koresh authorize? There was an 18-year gap. Remember, the first Gullus took place 18 years before the second Gullus. Yohag leaves Yushalayim 18 years later, "Maybe it was just destroyed. So just like there was an 18-year gap between the first stage of Belus and the second stage of Gullus, so there's an 18-year gap between the first stage of Gula Belshazzar, and Nebuchadnezzar's successor, calculates that the 70 years are up. So he goes to a party, and he prostitutes or he exploits the clan Because so he thinks it's finished, it's not going to be redeemed. He doesn't realize it's 70 years after the first dollars, but it's only you know, 52 years after the second dollars. So there's still 18 years between Belshazzar. And when they come back and rebuild the base of Mikdash, you're 18 years too early, Bosh so you celebrate 18 years too early. And he's punished. And Ayyadah succeeds him, and a year later, Courage succeeds him, and Courage authorizes the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash. However, the locals, and this is a whole different Shia, start fighting and opposing, and writing letters back to Courage, this is all taken, say, for Ezra. And they oppose the Jewish settlers who want to try to extend their sovereignty over the Temple Mount. And over the land, and they write geopolitical letters, why this can't happen. And you know who wrote the geopolitical letters, according to Hazelus B'nei Haman? And then all of a sudden, a few years later, now we're not writing geopolitical letters, but are writing anti-Semitic letters about trying to kill every Jew. The same Iranian B'nei Haman who live up in Paris, were trying to pass off their anti-Semitism as geopolitics, we don't hate Jews. We just can't stand these Jews living in Israel building the base on Mikdash. A couple years later, in Shushan, want to kill every single Jew alive. That's why the B'nai are are, 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 are tongue-related. Really because their geopolitical positions were exposed as blatant anti-Semitism. So people are dying in Israel because there were wars going on in Israel over the building of the base on Mikdash. And it's one thing you stay in Shushan. It's another thing if you choose to frolic 180 days while Jews are dying in Shushan. In and the McNeil is really a tale of two cities. Jews had a ready return to Eretz Israel. Building the base of Mikdash, sacrificing their lives, exposed to terror. I'm not making this up, guys. This is straight out of Ezra. So it's one of you saying, in Shushan. That's your choice. But you don't celebrate when Jews are dying. You don't participate in Yosaphat How dare you? It's a larger historical context to Megillus Esther. Megillus Esther is in a bubble, is in a vacuum. It's part of the Gaulus and Gula. And when they're saying in Shushan, they realize the Gula, which was sold a few years earlier, will now advance because they have a sign from Hashem. Karih the rebuilding the foundations. But it stops. And then a few years later, somewhere in those 18 years, between Karish's initial authorization and the final, that's when Megillus Esther occurs. So, the nay Sperm occurs in that 18 year window between the first authorization of building the foundations which was subsequently stalled and blocked and the final booth. That's when it occurred. So it wasn't just some miracle but it taught the Jews that this Heula was actually happening. That Hashem was with them. And that's why the letters are so important. I don't know how much time to do it very quickly. Letters are fundamental to the Empire of Ahasuerus. This is the period in history where letters become popular because this is the first in history of multi regional empires. Till so then, empires were legion specific. And if you had to communicate with people in your empire, you either told them yourself or you sent the dispatch to talk in your name. But you can't send dispatches to talk in your name to 127 provinces scattered across the globe. They had to get So all of a sudden, there's a new technology that develops. To us, it seems pretty. It's the email of their day. People are starting to write letters, and letters have to have authority. Yibuch HaNetzar got his start as a scribe he was a scribe to Malachashua these scribes are not just postmen nothing wrong with a postman <laughs> these are celebrities these are political appointments Achash B'nei Ramachim Apachos these are titles important positions in society that are handed from father to child because they are responsible for the cohesion of an entire empire that's why Achash is so hesitant to revoke his letters because if his letters are revoked, people will take his letters seriously. And if his letters aren't taken seriously, the empire will collapse. He has the novel who sends a letter. Thousands of kilometers away, people will take it seriously. They won't laugh at him. They won't say maybe he means it, maybe he didn't. Maybe he revoked it, maybe he didn't. Letters are the social political bond that allows these multi-regional empires to exist. So letters are iconic for people. These are not just as weird as I got a letter. Letters of a new technology of that period, starts in Ebuchadnezzar's day, but really begins, and you see this in Ezra, they're constantly writing letters, back and forth, the people write letters, and the Tanakh is, is, is adamant about these letters, stresses these letters. That's why Megillah Sessor describes the letter carriers, because they were pivotal members of this culture. That's why when Esther decided to frame Miguel's Esther, she said it should be a safer part of tonight, but also in a to remember the letters. What was so important about the letters? Because all the letters that went out. Please look at the sources where my just took the sources. Part two. All the letters that went out. I hope I have for you. Part two, where's the Sarah? Take a look at the first page. Okay? The first, the first page, we'll go back to the end source number one. They send the letters, the letters about men ruling their wives, and the letters about speaking their language. It's very clear. El comedino Samela.
1: El Medina
0: Medina. Source one, part one. Kipsabah. Every language was interpreted. El Alabal Kil Shalom. Every language! Except for one. Which language were these letters not written in? Hebrew. Hebrew, because no one spoke it. No one could care less about Hebrew. As Megillus Esther begins. And the fact that letters were written in every language aside from Hebrew was symbolic to the Jews that they were the tail end of their society. Every single letter that goes out throughout Megillus Esther, as the crisis builds, the loss of Jewish identity is clearly apparent, and the Gullus is deeply entrenched, and all of a sudden the story turns, and Hashem saves Am Yisrael, and language is restored, and they have a sinner from Akbar Shabarak that the school will continue and take a look and I hope I find it uh, if you look at source 73, 3 part 1 again you can imagine the horror the Jews felt where the genocide was described in every language but their own right? they have to read about their genocide in a foreign language thank you. until finally source 12 when Amisal reaches the Gerulah one final letter is sent out you pick, you pick it up, and <laughs> the everyone's there the letter writers the kill Finally, Hebrew makes a comeback. and when Hebrew makes a comeback, then they realize that the Jews are making a comeback. And the Gula will continue in Yerushalayim because of the events in Shisha to demonstrate that Hashem hasn't forsaken them. This is a rehabilitation of language, rehabilitation of identity, rehabilitation of people, rehabilitation of land. That's why language is so important in Megillah. And the stylistic component of language are letters, because letters are the form of communication, the hot form of communication. If your letter is written in Hebrew, that says you're not part of society. If your letter is written in Hebrew, then you'll be turned to the historical stage. Those are the two subplots in the Gila the cultural plot and the historical context